Hello, hello. Well, hello there, Luisongo. How's it going? Oh, you know, it goes. <laughs> you know, checking out uh, 1996 WCW. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Don't know what to expect, but can't wait to see. You were what, uh, grand two years old in 1996? Yep, a whole two years old. And he's been a pain in my ass ever since. <laughs> Anyways, I want to welcome everybody to the Keek and Luis podcast, and this is now our second episode on our WCW retrospective slash review, and today we're looking at a event on August 10th, 1996, which was Hog Wild. Do you know anything about this? Um, all I know is that it took place at Sturgis, and all the crowd is like people from the rally and it's all a bunch of Harley riders. So, with knowing that, I wasn't too excited about it. But it turned out to be a pretty decent show. Yeah, uh, pretty much like you. All I heard was it took place in Sturgis. It was, and this is one of the asinine like, and this is the shit that really pissed me off about WCW. This was a free event, dude. It was free? I didn't know it was free. I thought they would have to pay something. No, like, well, I don't know if you have to pay to get into Sturges, but if you're at Sturges, uh, doing research on the show, all you had to do was just be at Sturges, and it was just right up your your hog, and yeah, just watch wrestling. No wonder WCW ended up losing so much money. I mean, it's it boggles my mind, like... And I bet you almost all of that crowd, and you can kind of tell in some of the matches, we'll get into it later, uh, in some of the matches, you can tell these guys aren't wrestling fans. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they just, uh, hog wild, that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, no, the crowd was definitely interesting, to say the least, when it, especially when it came to certain matches. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into it. So we begin our show with a hella funny intro. You would think coming off the one of the biggest events in modern he- uh, wrestling history, you would think they would recap in some form. But no, we get like a uh, 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 like a 1996 version of like you make your own video and it's just showing Sturges, people on their bikes, people in... Uh, women in their thongs. Yeah, no, it was definitely kind of weird for an intro to a wrestling pay-per-view, and it definitely showed the difference in production values that WWF, now WWE, had compared to WCW, because before every WWE pay-per-view, you'd get some crazy intro video running down the main stories for that event, and then, like you said, for this, we just got some like cheesy looked like it was shot on like a VHS camera introduction, not even anything about the wrestling, just all about Sturgis. Yeah, it was just like, it, it, you know what it looked like? It, it looked one of those videos of like, come visit our city. Yeah. Videos, you know? Has no- yeah, no, it definitely had that like cheap local city tourist vibe production, not something that would be made from a multi-million dollar wrestling company that's backed by one of the biggest media companies at the time. 
and pretty much had a blank. Yeah, no, they could have done anything they wanted, and this is how they chose to get it started. So after we get our home video footage uh, going, we are we are brought in, and we're introduced, I should say, to our three main commentators, which I would like to call my three uncles on a Saturday night. (laughs) Yeah, no, the booth. I, I individually, you think like, okay, Dusty Rhodes, Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan. All right, that's gonna be a pretty great commentary to have for the matches. But it just, you know, it wasn't bad, but it was just clunky at times. Yeah, and all I gotta say, what what do you think of uh, Dusty pulling out the old, uh, what what do they call it, Canadian? Uh, Suit with the denim shorts and the denim top and the leather hat, looking like an off-brand version of uh, somebody from the Wild, uh, not the Wild thing, from the. Yeah, people. yeah. Dusty Rhodes pulled out the Canadian tuxedo, the full denim outfit, and very much of the late '90s. Just kind of you know, the first thing that came to mind was that picture of uh, Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears. I think it was the VMAs or something like that, where they showed up with the matching denim outfits. <laughs> and then you got uh, some uh, Tony being a rebellious teenager and get, he got a tattoo. <laughs> yeah. And Justin's all trying to make it. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. I like how they kind of tease Tony all night, especially because he's still pretty young when this was being filmed, so it's kind of it's kind of like the two uncles beating up on the uh, young nephew. Yeah, and then you got the all man in black, Bobby Heenan, you know, looking like our Max <laughs> out there. Yeah, no, Bobby Heenan looked. He looked at least out of all the three, the one who was like most prepared to be commentating that night. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then one of the first things right away, what we hit upon was you got the fucking crowd already revving up their bikes and there's nothing going on there's like they're just revving and it's just you can totally tell they they weren't there to watch wrestling they were there just to be oh distracted. yeah the crowd was really annoying all night whether the revving i don't think was too bad but what got so annoying is when they were honking the horns on their motorcycles it's like there's no need for that it's just an annoying sound it, not like the revving of motorcycle where, you know, it could kind of at least sound cool at times. The honking was just so annoying. Yeah, for sure. And so we come into our first uh, matchup of the night. It is for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, which is the champ, Rey Mysterio, taking on Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Ono. I liked how um, they called him Ultimate Dragon to start off. <laughs> and the thing, the thing is, like, you had, uh, I think it was Mike Tanay. They had a four-man booth for this match because they introduced Mike Tanay. And he was calling him Ultimo Dragon. But Dusty and Bobby were calling him Ultimate. He was introduced as Ultimate Dragon. So I kind of looked it up to see what was going on here. And it turns out it was like a translation error or something like that. For like the first like three to six months he was in WCW, they called him Ultimate Dragon before they finally switched it to Ultimo oh, Dragon. Three to six months. Oh my god, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> Just because I know who Ultimo Dragon is, I totally didn't. I was like, ah, oh, whatever. I didn't even catch yeah. that. Yeah. Because I knew. Oh, go ahead. What I? Yeah. Go, yeah. So like, no, you go ahead. like you, I knew who Ultimo Dragon was, and so I'm like. 
is this someone completely different? Because it looks exactly like him, exact same gear. And so I had to look it up to see what was going on. I, I'm so far, this is, I don't know if you watched Bash of the Beach, but so far in Bash and in this, uh, Mike Tanay comes in and um, he's a, he knows his uh, cruiserweights and his Lucha Libre and all that. Yeah, stuff. no, he was definitely good to have for the, especially for the people watching at home, just because Dusty and Bobby, like, they're very knowledgeable about wrestling in general, but it seems when it came to the cruiserweights, they didn't know too much because they would either just repeat exactly what Mike tonight said, or Dusty especially would just kind of go off on his own little tangents that led to nowhere. Yeah, and the match itself was pretty good. You know, standard, uh, you know, cruiserweight action. You have all the nice spots and everything from both Ray and Ultimo. Uh, sometimes it seemed like they, they got a little messy here and there, but, I mean, what do you think of it? Uh, I thought it was a good match. There were some points where they did slow it down a little bit and um, kind of seemed like it kind of killed the momentum of the match, especially with the fans because, you know, they'd get going and all of a sudden, boom, rest hold. And it just kind of yeah, slowed it, it down a little too much. But me, with being familiar with just Rey Mysterio in the WWE when he bulked up and kind of switched up his style a little bit, it was cool to see this younger, leaner Rey Mysterio and seeing how fast he was, how fluid he was. He was just out of this world, honestly. Yeah, and I am also like impressed, you know, like you, uh, my first interaction with Rey Mysterio, besides looking at pictures on him online with his mask off and when he debuted in SmackDown, that's the only thing mm-hmm. I knew him from. Um, and yeah, like you, I am also enjoying this, I guess in my eyes, and brand new Rey Mysterio, you know, just very, very springy, very light on his feet and everything, so... Yeah, and there was definitely good chemistry between the two because just the chain wrestling that they did was very, very fluid and kind of something that's missing in a lot of today's wrestling is it didn't look so choreographed even though they were still doing the high-flying flippy moves. Yeah, for sure. It was a great straightforward opener and then um, you have your winner, uh, Rey Mysterio. He retains his title. Yeah, and I thought the finish was good, especially kind of for the time because it was just a hurricanrana off the top rope, which for today's standards... Kind of nothing special, but back then, you know, the only person I can really think of who was doing stuff like that in the U.S. was, out of all people, Scott Steiner with the Frankensteiner. Put some respect on my boy HBK's <laughs> name, buddy. That's true. HBK was doing the high-flying style, too. But, yes, I think, actually, I think Scott Steiner, like you said, fucking Scott Steiner of all people. Uh, was the first one doing all, doing all that kind of stuff yeah, in the US. Yeah, it was just weird, you know, looking up those clips because he's a true heavyweight. He's a big guy, and he's just doing her coronas out there from a stand a standstill too. He wasn't going off off the ropes or anything. He was just jumping from the from being flat footed and just throwing them. Yeah, and then after the match, you go. We get a shot in the crowd of Mister Mean Gene looking. Uh, just as ridiculous as his <laughs> colleagues up in the booth. Oh, yeah. He definitely looked like someone's dad going through a middle-age crisis right there. If you saw that being a teenager back then, would you have called that WCW hotline? No, I wouldn't have just called to, it. Just to, 
Yeah, just for Gene to tell you how cool uh, Sturgeon Yeah, was. no, I wouldn't have called it to hear that from him because, like I said, it looked like someone's dad in a, having a middle-aged crisis. But I don't know if you saw, <laughs> it was $1.49 a minute. $1.49, and this is fucking 96, so holy, that's like a gallon of milk. Yeah, no, that's not cheap, and that adds up quick, because I bet he would probably be going on and on, keep you on the phone for at least five to ten minutes. Let's see, let's let's do the math right now. Let's say a standard, a minute, how much? $1.49 a minute. So 149 that'd be, that's already $7.45 <laughs> for just five minutes. Yeah, that's so ridiculous. Like, I, I see why they were doing the hotlines, because I, I always watch a lot of these older shows especially WWE, and they had their own hotline, too. And it's like, I wonder why anyone would call that. Like, what's the point? And when I see how much, like, what's the point of them doing it? And when I see how much they charge, it's like, okay, I get why. They must have been making bank off of that. And I bet you, like, at this time, since everybody, like, technically is invading, you got... You know, everybody's thinking, trying to get some inside scoop. So, yeah, they probably made some Yeah, especially since, you know, you didn't have the dirt sheets on the internet like you do now and so it wasn't that common the only person i could really think of being the mainstream dirt cheat back then is dave Meltzer, and that was still the news monthly newsletter yeah uh, and then after that uh after we got midlife crisis uh mean gene we go to scott norton versus the ice train um i have no clue who any of these guys were i so am familiar with scott norton just because um Doing a little bit of wrestling history research, I saw he was one of the first non-Americans, not the first thing, Vader was the first non-American to win the IWGP title from New Japan. And mm-hmm. this was probably a couple of years after, I think it was like 99 or 2000 when he won it. So that's the only thing I knew him from. And so watching the match... Uh, I mean, the story is that they're a tag team and they're breaking up and Scott Norton, I don't know if they were a face team, but Scott Norton's definitely the heel in this and trying to get Ice Train with his little face push. And I mean, it was wasn't a bad match, but. Yeah, I did some research and, and uh, what I could gather from was like earlier in the evening on a. On WCW Saturday night, you know, uh, Train had apparently got himself caught up in in a conflict between um, him. uh, I'm sorry, uh, got a conflict between uh, his manager, Teddy Long, and the champ, uh, Big Show, a.k.a. Paul White, a.k.a. The Giant, Um, you know, and. And after which both he and Long were chokeslammed by the champ and they hadn't and that hadn't end well for Mr. Train, who also found himself on the wrong end of a giant attack and was forced to wrestle with this grudge match. So that's what I could basically. Yeah, come they up kept with. pushing the him being injured, having the injured shoulder as part of the story for the match too. But I mean they Fire and Ice wasn't a well known tag team, clearly Scott Norton, while he was successful in Japan, didn't really do much in the U.S. Ice Train, again, didn't really do much in the U.S. So it's just kind of, with the knowledge of from the future, it just kind of comes off of watching two nobody real two nobodies just going at it. 
Yeah, so pretty much it was a short bout, and it's a fucking a fucking uh, ending that I hate when the ref decides that you can no longer continue. Yeah, that's... I mean, if you watch the match, like, he obviously, I get that they were playing up the injured shoulder, but he's still, like, it's not like he passes out or anything like they try to do when they do, like, the chokeholds or anything like that. He was still moving around. He didn't tap. They just, I don't know, the ref, like, oh, his injured shoulder is getting hurt too much. End the match or what? But it was a bad ending. Yeah, I, I, I just don't know. I Like, I'm trying to think if there's any been matches I like where it's been some like that, but no, I don't think. And the only place I like it, it's MMA because you know they're getting choked out for real, but not in pro wrestling. I don't like the it only. There, there have been a few times when it works. I mean, the most notable being Bret Hart versus Steve Austin at I want to say Wrestle WrestleMania 13. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. For yeah, yeah. Where yeah, the yeah. story is that Austin, he's not going to give up. He doesn't give up. He passes out from being in the sharpshooter, and that ends the match. Yeah. Yeah. Well, after that, uh, two big behemoths. We got um, we got a nice little promo vid backstage uh, with Mister Nature Boy himself, and um, I liked it because he was like, you know, saying he's gonna get back at the NWO for what they did to Arn, you know, and. Pretty much making it seem like this NWO group is very dangerous. Yeah, I definitely like how they played up the whole WCW versus NWO angle in this uh, promo. Especially because when you think of WCW, one of the first people that comes to mind is Ric Flair. And the first stable that comes to mind are the Four Horsemen. So you kind of have what the face of WCW has been since the 80s going up against this new force. And I think that's the perfect way to start building the angle. Yeah, because um, I don't know if you knew the or knew the um, Nitro after um, Bash at the Beach. Uh, it's that infamous episode where they uh, they beat everybody in the back. Yeah, at, uh, Disney's MGM. Get the cops called on them and everything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, dude. Like, I like I like this a lot. I mean, it's Flair doing Flair. You know, one of the greatest of all time. And very pretty much put it over, and like you said, it's the face of WCW telling people this NWO guys they ain't no joke. Yeah, and then I also like how they like mentioned because they obviously with all the rivalries that have been going on in the past, they have storyline issues with other people, and like on the promo they address it. You know, none of nothing from the past matters. None of the rivalries that have happened matter anymore because we have this invading force in the nwo trying to destroy wcw so we got to all team up together to fight against it yeah for sure and then right after that did you order that a uh, nice awesome sh- hog <laughs> that's another thing that wwf had an advantage over wcw is merchandising because that was one of the worst, in terms of graphic design, one of the worst shirts I've ever seen. <laughs> and, and, and and not just that. Okay, you have three of the coolest guys in wrestling at the time. You got um, Mr. Chico himself, Razor Ramon, a.k.a. Scott Hall. Why didn't you grab him for fucking to do this? You grabbed Jimmy Hart uh-huh. to... Yeah, that's another thing is that like Jimmy Hart, like, you know, he was good in the 80s, but by the time it was the late 90s, mid to late 90s, he was just out of place. He 
didn't change up his gimmick, his shtick at all. He just kept the same old Jimmy Hart that we saw in late 80s, mid 80s WWF. Well, he he didn't have to. He was buddies with Hogan. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when you're friends with Hogan, you don't have to do anything and you'll get a job for life wherever he goes. As long as you're... Oh, winning. yeah, that's true. <laughs> he's, he's racist <laughs> After... to a point. Hey, hey, hey. He is what I've been calling him, a racist hot dog, and I won't let the uh, listeners forget. <laughs> That's my mind, and I'm sticking to it. After our amazing chill uh, of uh, merchandise, we go to the Battle of the Bikes. Bull Nakano versus Medusa. Yeah, uh, when they first announced what the stipulation was, like you said, the Battle of the Bikes, they each put up a motorcycle as a wager. I thought, okay, this is just going to be silly. Like, this is going to be something dumb. But Medusa and Bull Nakano, you know, they wrestled back when Medusa was in the WWF, known as Alundra Blaze at the time. And they had really great chemistry. And honestly, the match surprised me. It was good. Yeah, so pretty much Battle of the Bikes, the stipulation here is that, like you said, they put, they both put up a uh, bike up, uh, and the loser gets their bike destroyed by the winner. Um, this match for me came out of left field because for what I understood, I didn't think re- uh, WCW had female wrestlers. Yeah, no, it's definitely ahead of their time in terms of how the women's product was being presented because you didn't really have a women's division in WWF at the time. And they wouldn't have anything like this until whenever the women's revolution happened 20 some odd years later. So this match was really ahead of its time in terms of how women were being presented in North American wrestling. Yeah. So this, this match for me, I mean, it, like you said, it, it was it was a decent match. It was really good, you know, and especially like I said, it, it surprised me because I was like, when they first announced Battle of the Bikes, I was like, are they going to fucking race? Yeah, because I know WCW has done silly stuff like that before with the whole it was before Hogan joined the NWO when he first faced the Giant and they had the whole monster trucks on the roof of the arena thing and so I thought, oh, it's going to be something stupid like that. But you, I ended up pleasantly surprised with the good match. Like I said, they had great chemistry. The moves were hard-hitting. They looked great. And another thing is the commentary, even though sometimes it did stray, was great for the match, especially Bobby Heenan making his bike jokes. Oh, for sure. And you know what else was actually really good? This was the first match on the card that actually had the crowd... Uh, actually cheering for wrestling you had even though i kind of i kind of i don't want to say anything i want to generalize but you had the crowd yelling usa usa for medusa yeah and at least this time made sense i didn't bring it up from the first match but in Rey mysterio for the ultimo dragon you have a mexican going up against a japanese guy and the crowd starts chanting usa just kind of confused there because none of the guys were american so at least in this match it made sense Right. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. I totally forgot about that. That's true. Um, but the ending was just a little bit confusing. So I wrote in my notes that, uh, okay, so it goes, Nakano hits a suplex and seemed to pick up the win. But after Sonny Ono picked up the sledgehammer and went after Medusa's bike, Medusa gave chase. And then she was declared the winner 
because apparently she raised her shoulder and Nakano had it and proceeded to talk attack Nakano's bike. So what the fuck yeah, happened? I was so confused by the ending too. When I first saw it, I thought, okay, so it looks like Nakano won the match then. But then, like you said, Medusa got her shoulder up and watching, okay, I thought maybe it's the kick out and the ref just accidentally, you know, hit his hand against the mat and it's not a three count. And But then she starts destroying the bike and then she gets her hand raised at the end. So I thought, oh, maybe she got, maybe Nakano got DQ'd because her manager grabbed the sledgehammer. But then they finally show the replay and like you said, Medusa got her shoulder up and it looks like Nakano just ended up pinning herself. Yeah, it it was it was good match, just weird ending, and kind of ruined it for me. But I mean, it doesn't take away from all the previous stuff in the chemistry. Yeah, no, the weird ending didn't take away from the match quality too much, and it was a really great match, and really, like I said, ahead of its time for how women's wrestling was being presented in the United States at that time. Yeah, and then we go to backstage. We're speaking of Mr. Scott Steiner, he's with his brother Rick, chatting it up with fans <laughs> on the Computerverse. Computerverse. Something, something like yeah, that. it was something like that. I thought very much of the '90s having a little bit like that promoting their online chat room where you can chat with your favorite WCW wrestlers. Oh God! Imagine. Matt, I'm I'm trying to remember when the hell did we first have internet? And I want to say it was like 98, and that was slow as fuck. Imagine 96. I know, I can't imagine. I still remember how slow the dial-up was to even just log in onto AOL. Can't imagine how slow it was for the average person in 96. And then add to it, like, you're going to, I'm assuming, somewhat heavy traffic area, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, add in the traffic from all the people. Because WCW was the biggest promotion in the country at the time, so they had the most viewers. Um, I don't know what the pay-per-view buys were for between the two companies, but I'm assuming WCW was doing very well in that department. So imagine all the people trying to log in to talk to whoever was chatting at the time. That just must have taken hours. Yeah. What, if you had a chance, who would you be talking to, Scott or Rick? Definitely Scott Steiner. He's more of a loose cannon, and you can probably get him to say anything. Well, because, you know, if you add Kurt Angle, your chance of winning drastically goes down. <laughs> and then after that, we go to, yes, please, Dean Malenko versus Chris Benoit with woman and Miss Elizabeth in his corner. And yes, yes, yes. Anytime I get to see any of the Radicals wrestle or anybody who like everybody would say oh they were better in wcw blah, blah blah wrestle i love it oh yeah no this was definitely match of the night for me very very great technical showcase going on here yeah i mean i bet you these guys wrestled each other many times oh yeah their chemistry like none other you know hard hitting stuff yeah, it, like you said, hard-hitting and then very technical, just move after move after move after move. And then they have that little rest period because they ended up going to that time limit draw at first. And, you yeah. know, there weren't, weren't many very 
very many rest holds in the regular match, but then they go on to the first overtime period because they ended up being two overtime periods for some reason. Correct. Yep. And definitely, you know, the crowd was into the match at first, but when they said at the end of the first overtime period, when they were said they're going to go to a second, the booze started raining in. Yeah, I, it, you know, I'm going to go with, like, I think the crowd was mostly was in it just because a woman and Miss Elizabeth were there. Because, like, during the match itself, like, when, and I'm talking about, like, a true wrestling match in a pure sense, there wasn't very many crowd. And I was just like, you guys don't fucking deserve this to be shown and to be shown this, like, great wrestling. Yeah, no, the crowd definitely didn't deserve to have this good of a match, especially because at times they were in it, at times they were just more focused on getting the sounds of their revving in, getting the horn honking in. And it seems like at points they just didn't care. But then, you know, it's Chris Benoit for the Diamalenko. So they're going to do something crazy that just gets the crowd into it. But then kind of ADD type thing, they just got easily distracted and kind of stopped caring about the match. Yeah, and the ending was a woman. She ends up distracting uh, Dean, right? She ended up distracting him. Yeah, yeah. And that's what the ending and, was. And uh, but uh, Benoit rolled him up, and um, Chris Benoit is your winner. That was the only thing that was disappointing. Is it ends on a roll up? Really? You you have this great. You they put so much time into it, with the t- the twenty minute time limit draw plus the two overtime period, and they just end it with a roll up. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah, very anticlimactic ending, and and it uh, it just sucks because these guys were just putting on a, putting on a show, and it was just great. Yeah, no, it was a very good match. I mean, the ending kind of took it down a little bit, but overall, very good match, match of the night for me. Uh, so yeah, after that we go to uh, the WCW Tag Champs defending their belts, Harlem Heat. With Sherry, well, sister Sherry, I should say, and uh, Cor- Cornwall Parker versus the, the Steiner Bros, Rick and Scott. Yeah, when I saw with that this, this match was going to happen, I got very excited. Um, not too familiar with Harlem Heat, but I'm a big Booker T fan, so I was excited to see him in his uh, younger days, especially when in tag team setting, kind of give them a chance to show off more of his strengths. And Steiner Bros, just classic tag team. Rick and Scott, they've been everywhere. They've wrestled everywhere, and they haven't seen much of their stuff outside of them beating up jobbers in the WWF, so I was excited to see them finally go up against a match of their uh, equal stature. For sure. Uh, what'd you think? Like These guys were, I guess, two big tag teams here in uh in WCW history, you know, and I, I was pretty impressed with both Harlem Heat and Rick and Scott. Yeah, it was a very good tag team match and very hard hitting action. These guys definitely weren't holding back. I wouldn't be surprised if some of those hits were just straight up, straight up pancakes because they were not holding back and even the slams looked like they hurt. That is true. I think you can make some French fries with those potatoes they were throwing. Oh, yeah. Head. And yeah. I was really impressed by uh, the hot tag from uh, Rick Steiner. I mean, Scott, you know, he's being beat up, and he eventually gets to the corner, tags in Rick, and he just brings in a lot of energy. Uh, 
And I wasn't really familiar with Rick Steiner outside of kind of seeing like some of the low lights of WCW. And the only thing I've really seen of him was that weird promo argument he had with Chucky from the Child's Play movies. I don't know if you've seen oh, that God. clip, but that's the only thing I, I really knew about, about Rick Steiner. Jesus. But yeah. No. Well, that's going to be coming our timeline, pretty, not pretty soon, but fucking hell, that's going to be coming up when we get to, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's 2000. Yeah, I think it's 99, 2000, somewhere in that range. But um, oh, Jesus. yeah, very impressed with him because I haven't seen many of his matches outside of, like I said, him and Scott beating up jobbers in the WWF. So um, I was very impressed. Yeah, and just uh, the ending, just when it looked like the standards were going to secure the victory, you know, you got Parker and uh, Sherry getting involved. And you got, uh, if I remember correctly, it was uh, Sherry, you know, hitting uh, Scott in the face with some white powder. That, that was uh, Colonel Parker who did it, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I think he messed up because he got more on Booker T than he ended up getting on Scott. So I don't know if it was planned that way or if he improvised, but he ended up hitting Scott Steiner with the cane. Yeah, he hit some. Yeah, I think I think they probably just saved face because you said a lot of it did go on Booker T as well. So, yeah, you have it. Harlan Heat retained, and uh, yeah, pretty good, pretty good match overall. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it was a good match. Um, you know, not a technical showcase like you got in the last match, but when you look at who you have wrestling at the time, you have jacked up Scott Steiner, and when I say jacked up, I should I should say roided up Scott Steiner, and then um. Rick Steiner, he's he's a little bit. He was a little bit better of a wrestler, I thought, than Rick or I mean, than Scott when it came to the technical stuff. But then you have Harlem Heat, who weren't exactly known for being the most technical wrestlers, but they had a lot of energy. They were great when they when the they did the move that they did. So overall, very good match. Yeah, and then if you haven't forgotten, we go back to our home video. <laughs> And we go see various different uh, WCW wrestlers on their bikes, riding a Sturgis, aka Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, no, I I did not like this. It dragged on for way too long. At first, I kind of you know thought, okay, they're building up more of the we're WCW, we're uniting, we're gonna fight against the NWO. But then just put way too much focus on them riding down random highways. Too much focus on them riding the motorcycles into parking lots and showing off. And it was just, it wasn't good. Well, like, well, like what the hell? You know, like, if, if you're looking back, all right, 1996, you're just coming off the heels of Bash of the Beach and that infamous Nitro. You had that earlier promo with... uh with Rick saying that WCW needs to unite, you wouldn't know it by here unless you just saw that Rick promo because nobody else is really talking about it. Everybody's talking about fucking Sturgis. Yeah, that's very true. They're hyping up Sturgis more than they were hyping up any of the matches. Any of, you know, they could have been hyping up, you know, oh, it's Sturgis. We're going to go WCW united together. We're going to back Lex Luger and Sting against the outsiders. But no, they don't bring up or we're going to help we're going to you know we're going to be there in spirit for the giant as he takes on hulk hogan the leader of the nwo just none of that it's like oh we're heading to sturgis i'm oh we're so excited the bikes the people the crowd you know we're gonna have wcw's presence known at sturgis and i don't want to 
compare uh, the great angle that was the invasion a couple years later to now. But, I mean, you had, like, JR and Paul Heyman when uh, Austin defected to WCW and the Alliance, and, you know, they were like, oh, my God, the WWF championship is in the hands of the Alliance. And it's like, where is that here? They should be fucking worried because from the weeks leading up to this, the NWO is a Rika or a force of havoc and nobody can stop them. And you have, I know it's the giant, but still, it still would technically be three against one, you know? So like they could lose their championship. Yeah. There's, you know, you'd get this, you'd want to like have them feel like they're building up to something big, but it feels like, Oh yeah, we're here for the rally. Yeah, there's an event going on, but the rally—that's the main draw. That's why we're all here. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that after we get through the matches, because next we got the Nature Boy facing off fucking Eddie Guerrero. A match that I never thought I'd see because I didn't know about it. Because like, I wanted it to happen in WWF, and we get it here. Yeah, and honestly, I didn't know this match was going to happen because I, I didn't look into the card before I started watching. I didn't wanted to be surprised by the matches so I can kind of go in without any predetermined opinions on certain matches. And this was one because Ric Flair, you know, I'm familiar with his later WWE work when he was just already, you know, he's a little bit past it here, but he was just way too old by the, when he was doing the WWE stuff in the early to mid 2000s. And then Eddie, kind of similar to Ray, before he bulked up and got big, so he was still a good wrestler in WWE, but kind of seeing him at his natural state, kind of more what he built up his reputation on. Yeah, I mean, you got, you know, Eddie would become a little bit more of a more hard hitting and stuff. But now over here, you got, you know, he's very, like I said, light on his feet, like with Ray Mysterio, you know, he's very springy. And I mean, you got, you got these two putting up another wrestling clinic. I was like, yes, please more of this. Yeah. And what I liked about it, it wasn't a super fast paced match like the Benoit Malenko or the Ray Mysterio Ultimo Dragon. It was more of a slow, methodical-paced match, which makes sense because, you know, you have Ric Flair in his 40s. And, um, but they still did a, put on a great technical match, and it was great seeing, I don't know how they planned it out, how they organized the match, but clearly they had a game plan going into it, and it worked. It was very successful. You know, you, by watching this match, you wouldn't be able to tell that Ric Flair was already starting to get past it because he just kind of had that classic, slow-paced, very technical. They played to their strengths, yeah. you know. You know, uh, obviously Eddie can't go out there and be jumping and giving her and Karanas to Ric Flair, and Ric Flair, you know, um, is not going to bore people to death with like a very methodical, slow match. They went somewhere in the middle and definitely complemented their styles. And I mean, the best thing that I can say about Rick is that he didn't really care who he worked for or who he worked with, and. He fucking put on a good match with Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, and I was surprised to see the matchup when they were coming down to the ring and they were hyping up the match because my thought of WCW was, you know, Ric Flair was one of those untouchable higher card guys that the cruiserweights were not allowed to wrestle with. So I was kind of pleasantly surprised when I saw the match was happening. 
I mean, hell, I mean, go go back to Bash of the Beach 96. He fucking wrestled Conan, dude. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, and he made Conan have a decent match because Conan, we know he's not very good. Yeah, and yeah, Conan, you know, very interesting seeing his WCW run because I was l- l- kind of looking up stuff about him and he was like a god in Mexico before he came over to yeah. the U.S. I, I heard about that. That's it's so funny. But yeah, kind of going back to Eddie and Ric Flair, um, very good match. And the ending, very Ric Flair. I, yeah, I love the ending. You go a uh, woman giving the assist to the dirtiest player in the game so he can get that extra leverage on that figure four. Eddie is, is too much in pain, passes out, but doesn't get called because he can't continue. He gets actually pinned. Yeah. One, two, three. Rick is still the United States championship champion. Sorry. Yeah, still the United States champion. Good ending with uh, Rick Flair initially holding onto the ropes and then women coming in, giving them the extra momentum to help pull them down. And I like how the ref didn't kind of like look over at all. He kind of kept looking at Eddie since Eddie was in the figure four. And that's, that's kind of what I, what I liked um, about that ending, especially because the referee can make or break an ending. If the referee messes up or does anything, if the referee had even glanced over at Ric Flair, they would have to call a rope, rope break. So the referee did a great job at not ruining the ending. Yeah, for sure. Then we get uh, Midlife Crisis Mean Gene, who's uh, interviewing uh, Jimmy Hart and WCW champ, the giant, um, somewhere out there in the fucking arena. And, uh, yeah, nice little standard promo, you know. Um, uh, Jimmy telling um, Hulk Hogan to be careful not to fall over because there would be nobody to pick you up. And um, how Giant betrayed WCW. Uh, like I said, thank God somebody's bringing it up because it's it really irks me that you have probably technically WCW's biggest match in history. Uh, these rivals could potentially take away your title, your championship, and they're not. They don't seem to care. Yeah, no the the promo was it was all right. Um... Definitely felt like something more out of 80s wrestling rather than what the 90s product was developing towards, especially with uh, the giant doing his kind of raspy voice. We're sounding more like a cartoon character. Yeah. Yeah. And then, for fuck's sake, Alex Luger. (laughs) Ding. Right. Versus, we already got their money, brother. <laughs> the Outsiders. Fucking hell was this match so boring. Yeah, I, I was excited about it because I'm a big fan of Kevin Nash, big fan of Scott Hall. Not too familiar with Sting and Luger, but I, you know, like Sting and TNA. So I'm excited to see him in WCW, especially because it's more of his prime and kind of a letdown. Especially because besides the Scott Norton and Ice Train match, there really hadn't been a bad match on the card so far. I like like it has to be exactly how Kevin Nash like said like says they already got their money, which they fucking did it. It was a fucking free event, and just pretty much was like I don't want to try. Yeah, no, there's definitely that classic Kevin Nash, little effort but gets paid a ton of money. 
which I don't blame him because I, I watched the interview with him and he caught his philosophy in wrestling from the legendary Lou Albano, where he said the only two real things in wrestling are the money and the miles. And after hearing that Kevin Nash based his wrestling philosophy off that, I understand why he worked the way he did. He was a big guy, <laughs> very injury prone, so kind of had to make the most of his paydays for little to no damage taken. Yeah, I was really scared when he was walking down the ramp. I didn't want him to tear a fucking quad. <laughs> but yeah, but you like you said, you have Prime Stinger in there. And I've never liked Lex Luger. Like, I, I remember, um, I can't say I really grew up with him, but Dad wa- watched early 92, 93, 94 WWF when he was in there. And I did remember seeing the whole Lex Express and try to make him the next Hulk Hogan and shit. And I wasn't impressed by him when I was a little kid. So I was like, and, and just watching watching everything, you know, in clips and stuff has not made my decision on liking him any more better. So when I saw he was in this match as well, and when I saw the kind of effort Kevin was giving, I was like, fucking hell, man. This is, I had to go, through, I had to like watch this match and, Bits and parts, kind of kept getting distracted, but like checking my Facebook or something. Yeah, no, it was wasn't a very well worked match. I think this and for the storyline, eh, I mean, it kind of played up to the story where they were ready to fight anyone and anybody, but it just wasn't worked well. And it kind of makes sense when you look at who's in the match. You have Kevin Nash and Lex Luger, two guys who aren't really known for being the best workers, but you have Scott Hall and Sting, two guys who are known for being really good workers at the time. So it just kind of and you surprised know, me how big of a letdown it was. Yeah, and you have Scott Hall who like didn't give a shit about pretty much his position. As long as he was at the top, he didn't care if he had to do the job. So like I I I don't understand this match at all. Yeah, and it just big letdown from the hype too because yeah this is also a WCW versus NWO they didn't really feel like there was much at stake especially the end where you have Luger uh, have Hall in the torture rack and like Nick Patrick like fumbles around and he like falls on Luger and then Hall falls on top of Luger and he's able to pin him and that's how the outsiders win yeah I didn't really like that ending it was I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. And I don't know if they're building towards something with Nick Patrick and the NWO, but it just kind of seemed kind of like a clunky ending. Yeah, I don't know. That is a Nick Patrick fellow. We better keep an eye on him. I don't know if he might got might have been bucked. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But yeah, I don't know if they're building towards something or if he just messed up, but Yeah, I don't know either. But anyways, fucking minus five stars for that fucking match. I wouldn't go that that low on it. <laughs> yeah, I don't I wouldn't either, but it still was so boring. So boring. Yeah. I s I wouldn't say it was the worst match of the night though. I'd still have to say that was Scott Norton for his ice train. Not that it was a horrible match, just because there wasn't really the story I wasn't really able to get into. We know, and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but we know neither guy really does end up doing anything in WCW 
unlike the Outsiders versus uh, Sting and Luger, knowing how important that match is in terms of story building, I feel like that made it a better match. Yeah. Well, here it is, buddy. The moment we've all been waiting for. The fucking signing of uh, Buffer. Yeah, yeah, that was... What was he doing? That was a mainstay for WCW. I I know from kind of watching documentaries about WCW and just kind of reading stuff online that the main events, Buffer was the announcer. Yeah, uh, yeah, because... Shout out to the AE podcast. They, uh, their main man Kevin was saying that uh, he, the buffer was on retainer. They, they would bring him back all the time. Yeah, yeah. For any big match they wanted to have, and I, I don't blame him because having Michael Buffer give you that big match feeling. You get that big match feeling and that big match payday. Yeah, I, I don't know how much they were paying him, but that couldn't have been cheap, especially because that was him at his prime of announcing. Well, I don't want to quote it, but I remember maybe, I think he was six figures for per appearance, right? It had to be something crazy high like that, because I do know that's one of the things they always talk about in the documentaries about WCW is how they were paying him just crazy amounts of money to announce one match. I know, fucking hell. We got our boy, the giant, a.k.a. the Big Show, a.k.a. Paul White, with his manager, Jimmy Hart, with that dirty bastard, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Um, I will like to say... I am never really have been a fan of Hogan matches, but watching his first match as a cowardly heel, I loved it. They they did a really good job of booking him as a heel from him initially not wanting to start the match, kind of walking away, walking out of the ring. I think he gets like maybe halfway up to the entrance before he decides, all right, maybe I will go into the match, but very good job of making him look like a heel. He didn't wrestle the traditional Hogan hulking up, not selling type of match. He did a good job of transitioning into the heel style. Yeah, I was... That's what I was most impressed about, because I was like... I was scared that he was going to be... Standard Hogan match gets beat up, hulks up, and I was and I was thinking, okay, so how is he going to hulk up if he's technically, you know, not a uh, babyface anymore? Even though he got a reaction from the crowd as a babyface, but he was still the heel, and uh, he played it. I think he played it per- to perfection. And you know, Hogan, the less he has to work, the better for him. Mm-hmm. So, he, well, yeah, I, I liked it. I liked that where he went out of the ring, had made it halfway up the ramp. You know, I liked him. You know, cheating. You know, and all this other stuff. Yeah, I I enjoyed. I was pleasantly surprised with this match. Yeah, and you know, I wasn't expecting like a crazy fast-paced match because it's the giant for this Hulk Hogan. You're going to get something super slow, something that's going to feel drawn out, a lot of rest holds, not too much action because you can't really do too much because you don't want... You have Hogan, you're trying to build Hogan as a heel. You can't have him selling too much. And then Giant's this big, unstoppable monster baby face. So you can't really have him selling too much either. And I feel like they kind of worked around those restrictions really well. 
Yeah, for sure. Then you get the outsiders coming in towards the end. Um, they get planted by the champ, which I was kind of surprised because I thought uh, when they came out, I was like, oh, well, Hogan's going to win because of outsiders. And uh, the Giant wasn't going to do anything to him. But no, he knocked him out at first. Yes. Yeah, that was a really good way to keep the credit, keep credibility on the Giant. Because it would have been very bad for his character if they had the outsiders run in and instantly just lay him out. He's a big yeah. guy, you know, seven feet. I don't know how much he weighed at the time, but they needed to find this a way to protect prime, him. Yeah, this is prime giant, I should say, and um, he's fit. This is the this is the giant that's doing drop kicks from the fucking top rope. Yeah, this is the, this is the giant that I would have liked to see in WWE when he came in as the Big Show. Yeah, and so. Um, after uh, Giant uh, knocks down uh, both Hall and Nash, gives just enough time for Hogan, that bastard, to grab the belt, yep. hits with it, and gets the one, two, three, and everybody, we got a new WCW champion, and his name is Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Yeah, it was a, I like the ending to the match. It built heel credibility on Hulk Hogan without damaging the Giant at all. And um, I do think it was a little too early to put the WCW belt on an NWO member. I feel like they kind of should have at least given it one more pay-per-view before they did that. But like I said, it put the title on Hogan without damaging the Giants' credibility too much. And Hogan is going to get the belt because he's Hogan. He's what, what, Anything he wants is going to happen, no matter if anyone's against it or not, he had that creative control. So he got the belt. I, you know, can't say too much more about that ending. Uh, now that you mention it, I'm sort of kind of surprised that they didn't put this on a nitro like they did with Goldberg and, and Hogan. Yeah. Cause this is pretty, this is pretty, you know, pretty big, especially what happens next. You get the booty man, AKA Brutus beefcake um, coming out with the, with the cake. Uh, for his real, real friend, uh, Hogan. Yeah, it, I guess they were trying to say, like, it's Hulk Hogan's birthday or something like that, and here comes Booty Man with the cake. Let me just talk about that for a second. How did that get approved for a name for a wrestler, a Booty Man? Like, really? I get it, Brutus Beefcake, who, so it's not anyone who really matters. Any, but Booty Man, like, come on, am, am I really expected to take that serious? <laughs> well, um, well, we're only what a year and a half away from Mr. Ass in WWF. That's true. That's true. Billy Gunn. No, but but still, but still, that was uh, WWF being edgy. This is still technically, I guess you could call it PG, WCW. Yeah, the, the only Booty Man I know is the is the comic book from the guy in Role Models, the little the little kid who, yeah. who makes the event of the. Booty Man. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, fucking hell. Yeah. And then he's teasing that he's the fourth member of the NWO. Yeah. When he came out wearing that NWO shirt, I know that at some point he joins the NWO in the future, but not as the booty man. He had a different game. Brutus Beefcake had like 500 gimmicks in his time in WCW. <laughs> but um, 
I knew he joins as a different gimmick, but I was thinking, is this when he joins? Like, are they really going to have him join now when the NWO is still super white hot? And I'm glad it ended up going the way it did, where Hogan turns on the booty man because he calls him his best friend. And yeah, you know, that bastard. He de- definitely turns on the booty man and does what I think is shocking, even by today's standards, because I still can't imagine anybody doing it. Brings out the spray paint, shakes it up, and writes NWO all over that big. And I love that belt. Big belt. Gold belt. Yeah, it kinda kinda felt a little little something in my heart when that happened because that is a gorgeous belt and to spray that NWO on it, that's definitely a good heel move right there. Cause that belt is probably like a religion for the fans of WCW. I mean, like I, like I said, I can't even see anybody today doing that. You know, and this is twenty years. 1996, this is 24, what is it, 24 years later? Yeah, 24 years later. Um, Imagine Roman Reigns right now, since he's a heel, fucking spray painting R&R on it or something on that big W belt. I, I, just, I mean, I, like you said, it's a that big gold belt is so beautiful. And yeah, it's pretty much next to the Bible for those WCW fans out there, you know. I bet you they were pissed yeah, off. Yeah, no, that was a definitely a really good heel move, and Kind of, like I said, felt a little something when they did it, but it makes sense for what the NWO is trying to do. For sure, for sure. So, after all that, what what are your thoughts on Hog, excuse me, Hog Wild in 1990? I was really, like, surprised. It, I'd say it's a good show. Out of out of uh, five stars, I'd give, give it a three and a half. Yeah, I I, I was thinking about three. Yeah, yep. three and a half. I uh, you know the the I I give it a higher rating based on the matches alone. If it weren't for the crowd, the crowd just kind of killed some of the matches. Yeah, for sure. You imagine, dude. I bet you there'd be riots if they did that in Atlanta. They spray painted that belt. In yeah, you you do that pay per view somewhere, Atlanta, Greensboro, North Carolina, somewhere in Florida, just the traditional WCW territory. You do that match in any one of those areas in one of those arenas, you'd get like bash at the beach, garbage being thrown in the ring, nonstop booze for like the last twenty minutes. But because it was the biker crowd who. Obviously, a lot of them weren't really wrestling fans, or a lot of them weren't just aware of the stories going on. You really get a lot of the react, don't get a lot of the reactions you were hoping to get from the crowd. Oh, and then I totally forgot to mention that uh, before he uh, spray painted uh, the belt, uh, Hulk Hogan he decides to put a little uh, snippet for the next pay per view. Where he's like, if that's what I do to my best friend, imagine what I'll do to you, Ric Flair. Yep, yeah. They're building up to that next title match, Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair, which I'm and not sure if that happened or not. Well, we'll find out when we get to to the next uh, next time we um, go our in our path our driveway through WCW, but um, that was just like icing on the cake. No pun intended for uh, 
for heel heel Hogan's first outing. Because legit, like I said, I enjoyed the match. I enjoyed what he did to the booty man. And um, and I just love that that ending where he says that and he sprays paint. I was just like, oh, Hulk Hogan, you're you're I I I know you're still a racist, but God darn it, you know how to fucking do this wrestling. Yeah, no, Hogan knows how to knows how to like you said do the wrestling game and just he that he had that great mindset that's the reason why he was on top for so long is he knows how to work the way he needs to work if he's i know watching like from uh american hulk hogan you see him let's go to this wwf days he's that big classic baby face doesn't sell a lot doesn't do a lot of technical moves and then i found this out watching some uh videos on youtube hogan working in japan Obviously, the more technical style is popular in Japan. He a, does a very good job working that technical Japanese style. And then you bring him as heel Hogan. He does a very good job of capturing heat. Does a good job of working the way a heel needs to work. He doesn't just try to work the same way Babyface Hogan does. He gets a brand new style just to get that heel persona going. For sure, for sure. So, after all that said, match of the night. MVP. Match of the night, like I said earlier, Chris Benoit versus Dean Malenko. The ending was a little eh with the roll-up, and I didn't think that second overtime period was necessary. I think they would have been fine going with one, but really just a classic technical showcase from two of the greatest technical wrestlers of all time. All right, and MVP. MVP, kind of a tough one. Um, I'll probably have to say just because of what he took in his match, Scott Steiner, he took the powder to the face, he took the cane to the back, and the cane ended up breaking, so you know that had to hurt. Um, <laughs> yeah, just and he was great in his match. Um, probably have to say him or Dean Malenko. Just because I think Dean Malenko was the better of the two from the Chris Benoit Dean Malenko match. Okay, okay. I will see your Malenko and Benoit match, and I will throw in that I think my match tonight is going to be Eddie Guerrero versus Ric Flair. Reason being is that um, I can't really get over the finish for Benoit and Malenko, and like you said, uh, I don't, I don't think it needed two two overtimes, and I just thought that the that the match between uh, Flair and Flair and uh, and Guerrero was just, you know, a standard Flair match, and I'm never bored with any anything Flair, so I'm gonna go with that as my match of the night. And MVP, uh, I'm gonna have to go with Hogan because he legit made me fucking pissed off about that belt being defaced like that. Um, I in also giving him the MVP just because I enjoyed his heel work. I was pleasantly like like you. I don't really look at the card because I want to come in uh, with a complete open mind because like I don't know anything about any of these pay per views, so I want to not know about them, go in blind. And I was not expecting this out of Heel Hogan, and he put up a decent match, and especially with the still a pretty green giant. Yeah, no, he definitely had to carry the giant in this match, which kind of, for Hulk Hogan, you're, you don't really think of him having to be the one doing all the heavy lifting in terms of the work. But yeah, he carried the giant to a what I thought was a good match and definitely starting to plant the seeds for what the NWO was going to develop into. All right. 
Um, you, that, this was your first outing to WCW territory. How'd you like it? Um, excited for the future? I'm, yeah, I'm definitely excited to see where this NWO story goes because I know from watching documentaries about WCW that at some point it does run its course and just drags on for too long. But right now it's fresh, it's white hot, everyone's into it. I really am excited to see where they take this uh, angle and that ended up giving WCW their, what is it, 83 week long ratings winning streak? 84. 84. 84. What are you telling me you're not excited to see the new, 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 B-O-R-O or B-T, B-T, B-T? <laughs> That's one thing I did hear about the NWO that they had a NWO B team, which <laughs> kind of, I mean, just knowing from right now that they're building kind of an interpromotional war, and they did mention it a bit in commentary, that at some point w, or, or NWO is going to need more than three guys. You can't just wrestle the same three guys over and over again. So they're kind of building up the NWO as their own separate promotion. But kind of it really knocks down anyone who joins, a, knocks them down a peg, anyone who joins the NWO B team just because they are referenced as the B team. Yeah, that's still um, that's still far away. Like you, um, this WCW journey is interesting so far. I'm definitely wanting to know who is this fourth guy that they're teasing, because I mean, looking back at WWF, you know who could who who's jumping over, man. Like I know it's not going to happen, but like just back in back, put myself back in that air time. Is it HBK? Mm-hmm. Is it uh, Bret Hart? You know, who's jumping over? Who's this fourth guy? You know, because like Hogan said, you know, who do, who knows more about New York than the Hulkster? You know, so. Yeah, that was his territory for pretty much all of the 80s and the early 90s. He, you know, somehow was able to run it. You know, Vince, yeah, he was the booker but he had so much influence over Vince that he can control whatever. So it kind of makes it seem that using that connection to how he said in Bash at the Beach, that promotion up north, he was going to be able to bring someone over to WCW that, you know, was going to be a huge blockbuster signing. All right. And before we head out, uh, you want to know what Meltzer said about this time period, this pay-per-view? Yeah, let's hear it. So, uh, according to Meltzer, uh, it was a bit of a disaster. Hmm. So, get this. An hour before the show, a major blackout affecting nine different states, mostly in California, meant many people weren't able to order the pay-per-view. Wow. So, yeah. So, like, now take to account that this was pretty much a free event and pretty much a reason just for Hogan and Bischoff to ride their fucking motorcycles. (laughs) How much money do you think they fucking lost in this pay-per-view? I mean, it had to be somewhere, I'm guessing, in like the mid five, mid to high five figures, low six figures. I Yes, something like that because Melter doesn't say, but I mean, like, I'm just putting myself in like in business mode and it's just like, what the fuck are we doing out there? Yeah, and I do know from watching kind of WCW documentaries on the Sinina podcast that a lot of their, not, I don't want to say a lot because I'm not sure what the exact percentage is, but an amount of their pay-per-view money was actually given to 
Turner um, home movies or something like that, some division of Turner that actually made it so pay-per-views weren't as profitable for WCW in the first place. So just picturing that, that the fact that they don't get a lot of money off pay-per-views, plus they had a free crowd, plus that there was that blackout that meant people couldn't order the pay-per-view. I couldn't imagine this being a big money-making event for WCW. Yeah, and then like uh, Melcher also says, you know, um, uh, just like WWF, uh, WCW learned that nobody buys the replays, really. So, you know, they that power outage pretty much killed that pay-per-view to draw any money. Um, there was an estimated around maybe 5,000 uh, people in total in attendance there. Uh, even though at one point Bobby Heaton fucking claimed there was 300,000. <laughs> which, I don't know if he, noticed, if he doesn't know, but there is no stadium, even at that time, that carries... 100,000, let alone 300,000 people. Yeah, that's just Bobby being Bobby Heenan being Bobby <laughs> Heenan, though. He definitely had some great lines throughout the night, especially when he kept making all the bicycle jokes, talking about actual bicycles. One of my favorite <laughs> lines was during the uh, before the Battle of the Bikes, he's like, What is he, what is he bringing in? Is it a Huffy? Is it a Schwinn? <laughs> Bobby is just – he's gold, man. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch much 80s uh, WWF, but I am enjoying 90s WCW Bobby Heenan. Oh, yeah, I am too. He's He is hilarious. And one thing I do like about him – another thing I like about him, I shouldn't say one thing. Another thing I like about him is um, he's always poking fun at Dusty Rhodes for uh, just going on random tangents that don't make sense. It's hilarious seeing him call out Dusty Rhodes like that because – Kind of, kind of reminds me a lot of um, Jr. and King. Whenever Jr. would start start talking about the puppies or the women of WWE in the middle of a random match, where you know it'd be like Ken Shamrock versus The Rock, and Jr. is talking about Terry Runnels, and he's like, "Well, Jr. would be, well, what does Terry Runnels have to do with this match?" That's kind of what Bobby Heenan was doing to Dusty Rhodes. He'd be talking about something random, and he'd be kind of poking fun and like, oh, yeah, well, what, you know, what did that have to do with Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And one last little tidbit from the show. You kind of want to know why they had this whole booty man guy uh, pretend he was going to be the fourth guy? Because apparently there was going to be a fourth guy debut in there. Do you want to take a guess on who could who, who was going to be in it? Don't tell me it was going to be the booty man. No, 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 no. He was not. It was um, Sean Waldman, a.k.a. X-Pac. Yeah, yeah, I do know he ended up in the NWO and in WCW, but I didn't know that was the night they were going to have him debut. Yeah, he was going to debut. He was going to be the fourth member, but he didn't. He still had a no-complete clause going, so he couldn't get contractually released until pretty much that was over. So he wasn't able to join at this time. I think, you know, that kind of worked out because I think it would have been a little too early to introduce the fourth man, first NWO pay-per-view. Well, I guess if you count Bash at the Beach second, but in terms of the NWO being an actual group going by the NWO, this is their first pay-per-view and kind of let the core group of Hogan, Nash, and Hogg establish a little more before you bring someone else into it. Yeah, and that – and and – Pretty much the probably the last time I'll talk about it, but that crowd did not fucking deserve a fourth member debut. No, 
No, I think that could, that could have been bad for the Heat for the NWO because there's no way the crowd would have reacted with the with the booing and the heat that was necessary for having that fourth man be introduced the legit member. Yep. And well, on that note, um, we will see you guys again for our WCW retrospective. We're going to be checking out the Clash of Champions. Well, hopefully, Hogan already sent out a challenge to uh, Ric Flair. We'll see if that's what it ends up being. Until then, I'm Kiko. You can hit me up at um, kikizzle06 at, uh, on Twitter uh, or send me up a, fa- a message on Facebook at facebook.com slash Kiko Olvera, K-I-K-O-L-V-E-R-A. And, um, yeah, Luisongo, any, any last words? Uh, no, I've been Luis. I have to set up my Twitter. I said I did. I would do that last episode, but I kind of been slacking on that. So hopefully next episode I'll have my Twitter ready to go. All right, bud. Well, it's good. Uh, good, good stuff. I think I'm gonna want to get out of this whole uh, smoke and exhaust fumes from the bikes. I'm gonna go uh, go cleanse myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm definitely Anyways, glad guys, to go back to a normal pay per view. Yes, for sure. I've been, and I've been Luis. And we'll see you guys later. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>